you were at this particular service last weekend, the last two minutes were pretty interesting because we lost power. Um, we figured out what happened. Actually, we didn't. We don't know what happened. So, But we're planning on having power the entire service. But if not, I'll just scream the last two minutes like I did last week because that was so much fun, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't fun for me. I was up here messing my pants. Anyway, hey, listen, I want to I wanna just, I, I just want to start with a question today. Just kind of curious. How many, how many people here um, have a dog? Just, just oh, oh, God, that's a lot. All right, I'm not going to ask about a cat because I don't care. But, but, but lots, of, lots of dog people. Now, what you need to understand is what I'm about to share is something that happened um, over 20 years ago, okay? And the reason I'm going to say that is because the most hate I've ever received so far as the pastor of Second Chance, I'm not making this up, you can't make this up, is the, the week that I shared the story about Chance, my dog, peeing in my truck seat, and I turned him upside down and cleaned up the pee with his fur. Okay, I got lots of hate. It's, the, it's literally, by the way, by the way, if you have time to criticize how someone disciplines their dog, you need a friend. Oh, my God. But anyway, so what the illustration I'm about to share is something that happened over 20 years ago. I'm not proud of it, but the reason I'm telling this story is because it's true, and it's funny, and it's kind of not funny. So anyway, I was at this friend's house, and we were doing like a Bible study or something, and he had an inside dog. I forgot what kind of dog it was. It's like a mutt or whatever. And um, right in the middle of the Bible study, the dog comes in and, and pees in the middle of the floor in front of everybody. Now, the different people discipline their dogs in different ways. Like some people um, pop their dog on the butt, okay? Some people put their dog in timeout. Um, some people have like the little shot collar thing. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how you discipline your dog. I'm just saying, I've never seen this done before or since. But my friend, who, the owner of the house, he looked at the dog and he just said, shame. And the dog did its head down, and went in the corner and just laid there for like 10 minutes. I was like, what the? <laughs> I said, what'd you just do? He said, I just taught my dog that word, shame. That's all that, and, and so um, and he, I, I'd never seen that. So as everybody kind of cleared out of the living room, it's just me and the dog, I was like, I wonder if this works with all people or if he's just used to the owner's voice. So I looked at the dog. Nobody was in the room. I was like, shame. Dog literally ducks his head and goes to the corner. I was like, this is the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. So for the next three weeks, I shamed this dog. Every, every Bible study, I'm, I'm in there. I'm, just, I'm shaming this dog. And my, my buddy caught me. He's like, dude, are you shaming my dog? I was like, I, I mean, I said, I said, it's, it's a shame that we can't have a Bible study longer. And, and, and he just, he busted me on it. But as I was preparing for this message, I thought about that because um, just like I shamed that dog, there are people here that you've been, you've been shamed by people that call themselves Christians. Shame on you for doing that. Shame, shame, shame. And there are so many people, there are so many people, and maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online, that you've, you've considered walking away from Jesus or you have walked away from Jesus. And the reason you walked away from Jesus had nothing to do with Jesus because if we get a picture of who Jesus is in the Gospels, he's irresistible. The reason we walked away from Jesus is someone shamed us either because of our behavior or because of our divorced mother or our gay brother. Somebody said shame. 
and kind of pushed us away. The reality is this. We live in a broken world. We do. <laughs> Go home and cut on the news. It is insanity right now. Any news station you want to watch. We live in a broken world where people are struggling with anxiety, depression, addiction. There's all, there are people here today that want to stop doing something but can't seem to stop doing it, and you always revert back to it, and you don't want to be that person. I get that. I understand. But the way to handle it is not through shaming people, but actually standing beside them and walking with them. And I believe with all my heart that there is something new that Jesus wants to do inside of you, inside of me. There's something that Jesus wants to do that's new inside of us. But in order for that to happen, we've got to create a house where shame has no name. And if we create a house where shame has no name, I believe it will rattle this community and hopefully this state, this nation, and the world. Because at the end of the day, that's what I believe the church was supposed to be. Now, in order to kind of talk about this, we're going to go to a parable that Jesus tells. And I've never taught on this parable, ever, because I didn't understand it. In fact, until recently where I was kind of digging through some stuff and saw some teaching, on, and, and it, all of this came to light for me. And so I wanted to share this today. It's a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 13. He tells, he tells the story. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Cut it down. Notice the exclamation point. This is not something that the guy says gently. He emphasizes it. Cut it down. Why should, I, why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone. Leave it alone. It's huge. Come out of that in a second. Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. We see three things happen in this story. Number one is expectation. Expectation. The, the man, the owner of the vineyard, planted a tree, a fig tree. Now, if you plant a fig tree, eventually you're going to expect the tree to produce what? Figs, exactly. If you plant an apple tree, you expect apples. Peach tree, you expect peaches. We, 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 that's what we plan. And all of us know what it's like to live with some sort of sense of expectation. Uh, birthday parties, when you, when, when you got a birthday coming up, that, there's a sense of expectation. I remember having a birthday party um, when I was a kid at McDonald's. It was awesome. It was awesome. I was, I was just so excited about that particular birthday party. Christmas brings expectation. You're going to get to see people that you don't normally get to see. You're going to get some gifts and all that stuff. Honeymoon. Ah, yeah. Honeymoon brings a sense of expectation. I was talking to a friend of mine one time. I was like, what are you going to do on your honeymoon? He's like, oh, you know what I'm going to do on my honeymoon. I was like, no, like, what do you have, what do you have planned on your honeymoon? He goes, you know what I got planned. I'm like, no, no, that's not. I'm talking about the other 23 hours, 59 minutes, and 48 seconds. You're going to need something <laughs> if you don't know what that means, ask your mom and dad when you leave. They'd love to explain that to you. Anyway, that, there, there's a sense of expectation that comes along with everything. Now, at the end of the day, I believe one of the things that we have going on in our society is we've had the expectation kind of beaten out of us. 
which is a problem because all of us, every single person was created in the image of God. Now, do you think, let me ask a question. Do you think God has hope in his life? Yes or no? Yes. Do you think God has peace in his life? Yes or no? Yes. Do you think God has joy in his life? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. So if we're created in the image of God, God has hope peace and joy, then why is it when we, went, when we wake up most mornings, we're not filled with hope, peace, and joy? Why is it that we wake up with an attitude of, you know, instead of good, good morning, Lord, it's like, good Lord, it's morning. Big difference. And we've been told, you know, well, that's just the way it is, and you've got this problem, and you've got this issue, and you'll never have hope, and you'll never have peace, and you'll never have joy. But I'm telling you, as a follower of Jesus, Jesus said, I came to give you life and give you an abundant and a full and a rich life. That's what he wants for us. That's his expectation. And that's the expectation that you and I, as followers of Christ, should be able to wake up with every single day. Well, if that's the, tr- if that's the expectation... Why isn't that happening? Why is it that we kind of struggle with joy and hope and peace? I don't know if you struggle with it. I struggle with it. I struggle with it a lot. Traffic, especially. Number two, judgment. There's an expectation of the tree to bear fruit, but then there's judgment because the vineyard owner steps in and goes, cut it down. Just cut it down. Now, all of us have two things in common. All of us have been judged by someone, and all of us have judged someone. Come on, haven't you judged somebody? There's a reason a while ago I didn't ask you to raise your hand if you have a cat, because I would judge you from this stage. I would judge you. I was like, oh, you're one of those people, right? I got judged the other week at Publix. I go to, that's where I grocery shop. I go to Publix, and it's not because I think they're better than anybody else. It's because it's the only grocery store I've ever gone to. I know where everything is. Everything's memorized. I can just walk around, and I get, get in. I went to Ingalls one time. I walked around for 30 minutes, couldn't find anything. I just left. I just left my shopping buggy there. I just went out and got in my car and just drove off. But um, I went to Publix the other day, and I got judged. It was, it was, so it was crazy. I'm standing in my spot, six feet, because they got the little line in Publix, right? They also got the arrows that you go up this aisle, down this aisle, up this aisle. Okay. I, I go against it on purpose every once in a while. Does anybody do that? Anybody with me? Oh, come on, bunch of liars. You better get your hands up. So, so I'm standing. I'm socially distanced. And the lady behind the counter looks at me and she goes, Sir, would you like to use plastic bags or do you have your own grocery bags that you would like to use? Now, pause for a second. I don't have my own grocery bags. I'm a single dude that's almost 50 years old. I am not... It's the biggest scam in the world. We're going to sell you grocery bags that you have to remember to bring in here. If they're so good for the environment, why don't you just freaking give me the grocery bags? Hello? But anyway, so I just told her, I was like, no, ma'am, I said, I don't have grocery bags. I said, I just use the plastic ones. The two people in front of me, as soon as I said that, turned around and looked at me like like I had been killing innocent children. They looked at me, and they looked at each other, and looked at me, and shook their head and turned back around. I was judged on the spot. I didn't take it well. I said, what? 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 Actually, I didn't. I wanted to say that. I'm I'm telling y'all, when I turn 65, the filter is completely off. I'm saying anything I want to say. But all of us know what that feels like. 
to be judged, to have somebody look at us. And at the end of the day, if we're going to grow and we're going to thrive, then judgment has got to go. Now, all of us have been judged by somebody else. Let me just ask this question. I just want to ask this question. Why in the world would you let what somebody who don't even know you, why, why would you let what they say about you dictate how you feel about you? There's some people in this room, that, and I'm, I'm in this group, we'll pay more attention to a Facebook comment telling us what a horrible person we are rather than a Bible verse telling us that we're created in the image of God. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? I, I do that too. Why, why would you let somebody that doesn't know you define you? That would be like taking 15, 15 pages of a Harry Potter book and saying, I can tell you based on this 15 pages what the whole series is about. No, you couldn't. If we can't do that with Harry Potter, then why in the world are you going to let somebody take one picture out of your life and make a judgment call on who you are? We can't do that. We, we can't allow that to happen. And not just the outer judgment, but the inner judgment. Some of the conversations that we have with ourselves in our own head, if we talk to other people the way we talk to ourselves, some of us wouldn't have any friends. It gets that, that judgment cycle keeps going on. Judge, judge, judge. And so the third thing that happens, the third thing that happens though, is 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 and this is so essential, is the manager steps in and says, leave it alone. In other words, we have the advocate. Now I was thinking about this, I was thinking about my mom. My mom passed away. Um, when I was 11 years old, but man, those, those 11 years I got to know her was incredible. My mom was a great woman, but she had, she had a redneck side to her. And when it came out, as long as it wasn't directed at me, it was awesome. <laughs> I saw it come out one night. I, I was visiting this little church near my house. I went there on Wednesday nights because they had RAs, and I would go to the little church with my friends, and there's a, they had GAs, and separate from RAs. But GAs, they had this girl in GAs named Dottie. And Dottie was humongous. When I say humongous, I mean tall, humongous, tall, humongous. And, and she did not like me for whatever reason. I don't know. I just, some people don't like some people. And she decided she was going to bully me. And she's two or three years older. She was bullying me or whatever. And I remember one night, mom, I was waiting on my mom to pick me up. Dottie walked up. And I, we said, I, don't, I still don't remember what happened. All I remember is she slapped me across the face. Open hand slapped me. And I was, I was, petrified because Dottie could have like I could have just disappeared and so she, she raised her hand back to do it again and as soon as she came forward Hollywood could not have scripted this any better as soon as she came forward my mom called her hand and I was just standing there and my mom looked at Dottie I know what she said if you ever touch him again and it it continued on from there um, but, but it was un, like my mom stepped in and was like, uh-uh, that's not happening. You know what? Dottie never touched me again, ever, ever. She was super nice because I had an advocate that, would, that was stronger than me that stepped in on my behalf. And that's what the fig tree had. The fig tree couldn't protect itself, so the advocate comes in and goes, leave it alone. In order for us to thrive in our walk with Christ, we've got to have a judgment-free zone where somebody walks in and they got a problem and instead of saying you shouldn't do that somebody steps in and says leave it leave him alone leave her alone let that's what jesus christ does for us 
That's what Jesus does for us. He steps into our lives and says, you know what? Yes, that, that might be messed up. That's a, little, that's a little off, but leave them alone. Because at the end of the day, nobody can grow into the person we need to be if we're constantly being judged and told that we suck over and over and over again. So I started thinking about this because, listen, there's no secret. About four years ago, I went to a place called rehab, treatment, recovery. It just matters what group you're talking to. If you want to sound more distinguished, you say treatment. It was rehab. That's what it is. I don't, I'm not going to ask if you've ever been. I'm just going to tell you that I went out to rehab, and I learned something. that um, I saw something that I've never seen. That there's a difference between, in the world today, between church and a recovery group. And, and so I just wanted to list these out because I find them fascinating. I want to list that. Now, this list could be a lot longer, but I just want to focus on something that I was right now when I was kind of thinking about it. A church, the focus is on, is the, in order to be a part of the church or a member of the church, and when I say church, I'm talking about big C church, the, the emphasis on is how holy you are. So you can come to this church and you can join this church, but you got to read your Bible, you got to pray, and you gotta, um, you got to serve, and you got to give, and then you got to fast, which I'm like, I'm out because I'm not doing the fasting thing. And I know some people are like, I fast all the time. I'm like, well, you shouldn't brag about it. Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't brag about it, so you just got your reward. Thank you very much. That's why I, if I did fast, I wouldn't tell you, but I'm not fasting. Anyway, so, so, so you gotta, it's about how holy you are. And, and not only do you have to do these things, but you can't do certain things. Like you can't go to R-rated movies unless they're about Jesus. You can't um, listen to certain music. You can't do certain things. You can't dance. I mean, you can't go anywhere and dance. And, and, and there's all kinds of things you can't do. And the emphasis in order to be a part of, of this is it's how good you are. How good are you? How good are you? And it's kind of like, it's almost like they formed the, the Navy SEALs of Christians, right? But in order to be a part of a recovery group, you got to be screwed up. You got to be screwed up. Now, I almost said I'm not a betting man, but I am a betting man. I have, I have made some bets. I made a bet with Philip that Clemson would finish ahead of Georgia. Some of y'all were here. Some of y'all saw that bet. What y'all need to know about that bet is Philip hasn't paid. <laughs> he owes me $100. And I'm not judging him. He can continue to owe me $100, but you know, I guess, I guess as long as he owes me, I'll always have some money somewhere, right? has nothing to do with the message. Anyway, in order to be a member of, of, of a recovery group, you got to be screwed up. Nobody in a recovery group goes, I'm awesome. In fact, I remember my first recovery meeting, I sat down with my group, and, I, and the group gets pretty tight. And I remember I sat down, and, and I was getting ready to start, and, and my friend James, who had been there for like two or three days, looked at me and said, hey, preacher, I know the environment you're from, but here's what you need to keep in mind. Nobody's in this circle because they got their shit together. So you better get real. I was like, yes, sir. Now, now, that right there, that's the, the only reason you're in a recovery group is because you know you're screwed up. How much better could our church services be if we walked in not pretending to be holy but admitting that we're just all screwed up? Oh, it, it, it's, it gets better. Um, in church, you say nothing's wrong. You're godly. 
How are you doing? No, man, nothing's wrong. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. You know what fine means? Frustrated, insecure, negative, and evasive. That's what fine means. How are you doing? I'm frustrated, insecure, negative, and evasive. How are you? That's what fine stands for. But so many people, we, we can't get real because we tell, we tell somebody what's really wrong. Well, then we can get kicked out. So, so nothing's wrong. It's got like in recovery group, if you say nothing's wrong, you're just in denial. Right, how you doing? I am awesome. Really pee in this cup. Seriously, pee in the cup. Okay, we're going to get the results back because you're, that's not happening. But, but, but that's, Alcoholics Anonymous was started by a man in a church. Any 12-step program, you can go study it, traces it back to a church. The reason this program was started, and by the way, most Alcoholics Anonymous programs, when they first started, they started in church basements. That's why this, the term or, or the phrase, I've heard it and I finally understood it. There's more honesty in church basements than there are in church sanctuaries. Because in church sanctuaries, if you get real, you can get kicked out. In a church basement, if you get real, you get pulled in. Everybody feeling the tension? I, anyway, let's just keep going. In a church, the goal is hiding. So if there's something wrong in your life, you got to hide it. Because if people see what you're hiding, then that's a problem. I've shared many times. I'm going to, I, I love to go to Clemson football games just to walk around the tailgates because the people that see me try to hide stuff from me. Pastor P, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, but you just baptized the guy behind you in the beer. You're hiding behind your back. <laughs> yeah. What brand is that? Anyway, I, I, like, that's the goal, though, right? Well, you can't let people know what's really going on. You, you got to hide. You got to hide things. So, hey, you, you know, I, I can't. Did you go see that movie? The new movie? What movie? You know, The Hangover. Oh, no, I didn't see The Hangover. American, no, I didn't see no American Pie. I didn't know what that movie was about. I thought it was about bacon. I had no idea what it was like. But in a, in a recovery group, the goal is confession. Let me tell you something. If you've got a problem. And when I say a problem, I'm, I'm not going to sit up here and define a problem because you know what a problem is. You're smart enough to know. I can tell you this. You can't get healed until you get real. Physically, how many stories have we heard about men or women that had that problem? They had that pain in their chest that they should have got checked out. And by the time they went and got it checked out, it was too late. How many stories have we heard like that? It's the same thing that's true spiritually. If you conceal that problem, it just continues to grow. But that's the goal in the church. You've got to hide. You can't let people know what's going on. But in, in a recovery group, this is who I am. This is what I've been doing. There's more honesty there. In, in a church, the, the, the focus is on the outside. Everybody looks pretty. You ever heard that? You got to give God your best. I would always ask when my mom would put this suit on me. I was like, what? I got to wear this. You give God your best. Okay. I got in trouble one time at a church um, for, for wearing Timberland boots. This is why I was in a little Baptist church. And I wore my Timberland boots one Sunday. I was so proud of them. This lady came up and she said, you shouldn't be wearing boots to church. I was like, why not? She said, give God your best. I'm like, these are the most expensive shoes I have, lady. 
But we focus so much on that. Like, if I really want to piss people off every once in a while, I'll just wear a hat when I preach. You, you'll be amazed at the number of people that get mad. Like, people get saved, lives get changed, and I'll get, I get emails. I got an email four paragraphs long last time I wore a hat. I just responded with just a sentence. This probably in your church. And then I went, ba 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 on him. Because that's, that's, I'm not a hat. And I know and there's somebody going in 1 Corinthians. It says, okay, listen, it was a deal with the Corinthian church. It had to do with something going on in Corinth. It has nothing. God is not mad if you got on a hat. See, a lot of hats here today. Love it. I'll wear one next week. It'll be Father's Day. I told you I was going to preach in the cutoff shirt anyway. In recovery group, the focus is on the inside. Like, what's going on? In other words, the, the outside, we're focused on what you're doing. In a recovery group, we're focused on why you're doing it. Okay? This, this right here, this right here, the focus, there was another group of people that were focused on the outward appearance when Jesus was around called the Pharisees. Jesus said, you blind gods, you focus on cleaning the outside of the cup, but on the inside it's full of greed and dead men's bones. He went off on those people. And then last but not least, the church, the, the focus is lectures. Have you ever gotten a lecture? I mean, listen, here's, here's what I know about people that drink too much. They know they drink too much. Not a mystery. And you're not going to change them with a lecture. And a Bible verse attached to it. You know what you're going to do? You're going to, thank you very much. You're going to cause them to want to drink more. You're not going to, nobody's going to listen to you and go, oh my God. Four bottles of wine a night isn't normal? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> what? Oh, oh. I shouldn't smoke weed. Oh, I should. Like, I'm taking too many prescription pills. God, the way you yelled at me just now totally changed how I feel about everything. Thank you so much for telling me I'm a worthless piece of crap. And because of your lecture, I am now going to completely change my behavior. Has that ever happened? No, unless you were hammered and then you just admitted it and then you didn't remember it. But then... The recovery group focus on, focuses on listening to people and loving them. Now, this is where, the pe this is where people get really, what? This is where legalistic people get upset. I read this book, though, by a guy named Brendan Manning called The Ragamuffin Gospel. If you ever want to read a great book, I highly recommend it. In the book, he talks about a guy who's a part of a recovery group who had been clean and sober for seven years. He went out of town, family drama, problems, Obviously, he fell off the wagon, dove back into drinking, just got hammered all weekend. The next Monday, he comes into his recovery group. He's just covered in shame. He's covered in guilt. He admits what he's done, and everybody in the group sat there, listened to his story, cried with him, put their arms around him, and said, you know what? We're going to walk through this together. That's what the gospel is supposed to be. You know what? Messed up. We're going to walk through this together. Now, let me ask you a question. Out of these two groups, 
which group would you most likely see Jesus hanging out with? Let me ask you another question. Which group killed Jesus? This is a house where shame has no name. This is the house we're going to build. How do we do it? Well, the gardener, the, the guy that took care of the vineyard, he said he's going to do three things. He said, first thing we're going to do is we're going to dig. We've got to dig. In other words, we've got to get our hands dirty. And this is so important. Uh, I, several years ago, and everybody in this room can relate to car trouble. You've all, probably all had car trouble. We've all had, we all know what it's like. I had a 1984 Camry. Toyota Camry that brought me closer to Jesus than just about any car because I prayed before I crunk it up. Just, God, please, if you just let it run, just let it run today. And I remember going down the road, and it started making a weird noise. You know how when your car makes a weird noise? But <laughs> this is my attitude. If I just keep driving, the noise will stop. Um, and it was kind of right because the noise just it changed to a different noise. And then all of my instruments on my, like my dash, all the things started spinning around and around. My speedometer, everything speeding around and around. And I, because I am such a discerning gentleman, went, I have a problem. So I have a friend named Chuck who's a mechanic. He owned a garage. And I remember I took my car to Chuck. And I was like, Chuck, my car's making a weird noise. And the mechanic always asks, what kind of noise is it making? And you went, and they'll always go, sounds like an alternator. I was like, that's what I was thinking, Chuck, but we probably need to go check it out. Now, Chuck, we walk out to the car. Let me tell you what Chuck did not do. Chuck did not say, you know what, man, why don't we just wash the car? I mean, I know it's not running right, but if we just washed it, I think everything will be okay. Chuck didn't say, you know what, Let, I got some Bible verses, let me stick them on the car, and the Bible verses will make the car run better. Chuck didn't say, let's cast all the demons out of the car, which I would have gone along with. I think there was a couple in there. But, but now... I believe in supernatural healing. I believe in the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. I've seen God do miracles. I believe in that. But I also believe in the process. And I told you last week, God often is at work in the process. He's, in fact, he's always at work in the process. So instead of doing all those things, you know what Chuck did? Chuck went out and we raised up the hood on the car and he got down into the engine and discovered the problem. And it took some time and it took some money but eventually, because I took it to the right place and let the right person handle it, the problem got solved because he was willing to dig into the engine and get his hands dirty. This is what it takes for some of us to get healed. It's not what you're doing. It's why are we doing it. And, and listen, it takes, it takes the willingness to confess to dig in, because at the end of the day, let me, ask you, let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. If you left this church service today and fell down and broke your arm, like you broke your arm, your arm's broken, you hold it out and like half of it's like all mangled. It's all like hanging down here. What, what do you do? What's the best way? You go to a place, the, the ER, that, that, that can help you with your broke arm. Do, is that the best thing to do, or do you just cut off your arm, put it on top of an anatomy book, and say, read that book, and one of these days when I feel like you're good enough, I'll reattach you to the body? No, it doesn't work that way. So we got to dig in now. I want to tell you, if you got a problem, if, you got, if you're at a place that you don't want to be, you've got to let the Holy Spirit dig inside of you. 
sometimes we need to step into the, the office of a professional and let them dig. Because we have a choice. We can be a victim for the rest of our lives, but victims never walk in victory. This isn't easy, but I'll tell you, it's a lot better on the other side. We've got to be willing to let God dig into us and say, God, what is the new that you want to do inside of me? And as God begins to show us the new, he'll show us the things that we need to walk away from. The second thing is, is fertilize. Fertilize. In other words, the tree needs some help from the outside. The tree by itself can't grow by itself. It needs sunshine. It needs wind. It needs rain. But it also needs to be nurtured. And, and that's what the, the, the vineyard guy said. I said, I'm going to fertilize it. And all of us need outside help. There's nobody here that can sustain themselves in their walk with Christ or in their walk in life. We need the help of others. I, um, I went in the gym one day. I just wasn't feeling it. Most of, the time, most of the time, I wake up in a good mood. I really do. I wake up somewhere between 4 and 5, and I'm just, this is how I, I'm, I'm just like this. I'm just, I'm just, and I go and I drink some espresso and like, like three shots of espresso every morning, every morning. That like coffee's not strong enough, man. I gotta, and I, I'm just in a good mood. By the time I get to the gym, I got bouncy feet. I, I've been, I was doing this. Somebody texted me after the second service. They said, when you bounce around like that, I get dizzy and I get real nervous that you're going to step off the stage. Like, what if, I, what if I put my foot like this right here? See, some of y'all got nervous. I'm, I'll probably fall off the stage one day. And if I do, I'll just work it in the message. Don't worry about it. I'll be fine. <laughs> That's water, by the way, just in case y'all are wondering. This is water. This is straight water, H2O. So I walked in the gym, and the girl behind the counter, she's like, how you doing, Pastor P? And I was like, I'm going to be honest with you. I ain't feeling it today. So I'm not feeling it. She goes, oh, you need to try one of these new energy drinks. And I was like, you know, I, I probably do. Now, the, the name of it, I don't know if you've ever tried this. It's called C4. I'm not recommending it. But, but it, that it's crack in a bottle. Now, I've never done crack. Um, but it's crack in a bottle. So, so, so as I'm getting ready, I, I purchased a drink. As I'm, I'm drinking it, she goes, now, if you start sweating, don't worry. And I started, I did. I started sweating immediately. Y'all, this is one of the best workouts I've ever had. I was like, yeah, I was like lifting. But I had help from the outside. I had something that provided the strength for me. If you want to take your next step in your walk with Christ, it's going to take the help. It's going to be take us being willing, the Holy Spirit, to work in our lives. And it's going to take the help of others. It's going to take the help of others. And not other people that, have you ever met the Christian that always wants to hold you accountable? I'm going to hold you accountable. That means, basically, we're going to meet once a week. I'm going to tell you how bad you suck for how bad you messed up. And then next week, come back and hang out again so I can tell you how bad you suck again. That's why I don't work. I've had people ask me, can I be your accountability partner? Nope. Nope. Don't, I've got a dog. Don't need an accountability partner. Aren't you glad your dog can't talk? <laughs> there's, a, there's a message there. Anyway, do, do you... You know what outside help is from another human being? Instead of praying for somebody, it's actually talking to them. Because I know people that will pray for you but won't talk to you. Hello. Instead of, like, screaming at somebody you're drinking too much, it's calling somebody going, hey, man, can we go to dinner tomorrow night? Can we hang out? That time that you're the most vulnerable why don't you come over to my house? 
We'll cook some dinner. We'll, hang, we'll, we'll watch some Netflix. We'll p- play some cards. Do you know when I, got out of, when I got out of rehab, I have a friend that lives in another state. He's a very, very busy person. He called me every day for six months. Every day. One question. How you doing? He still calls me once a week. Same question. How you doing? Genuinely cares. That's what we need. And that's what we need to be for other people. And last but not least, last but not least, we need to give people time. Time to let the work that Jesus wants to do in them happen in them. You know, a couple weeks ago, I finished the marathon, and it was a, it was a big deal for me. But I'm going to be very honest with you. I would not have finished that race if it hadn't been for two things. The first thing was every mile or two, there was a group of people. I didn't know there was going to be that many people. But there was a group of people with water and Gatorade holding signs and cheering for me. And there were times on this race, there were times during the race that I, I legitimately wanted to quit. Like every, like my legs were hurting. I was sweating. It was hotter than we anticipated it being. I was, I was, I, I was dying. But I would see that group in the distance, and I'd be like, you know, there's somebody cheering for me, and I can make it to that group. You know, you know if somebody's cheering for you rather than lecturing you, you can go further than you thought you could go. The second thing that happened was there was a guy in our church named Derek who met me at the halfway point. And Derek had been telling me for several weeks, I'm going to meet you at the halfway point, and I'm going to run the last half of the race with you. Now, Derek at that point could have ran faster than me because I was already worn out. Derek could have lectured me the whole way about my running technique. He could have criticized my running outfit and said, I don't think you should wear that. He could have, he could have said, why don't you run my pace? But you know what? Derek ran my pace and encouraged me all the way. And at the end of the day, I finished the race because of other people encouraging me and running with me. You, sir, you, ma'am, can finish the race. And we want this to be a place where shame has no name. All we want to do is come alongside of you and encourage you to take your next step. With that in mind, what is the new that Jesus wants to do in you? What is the new thing? What's that thing that you need to stop or start doing? What's that thing that Jesus is leading you to? Because I want this to be a place where that thing can become your thing that you embrace in your walk with Jesus. With that in mind, can we stand for prayer? Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for everyone in this room, everyone watching online, that we would step into the new that you want to do with heads bowed and eyes closed would you have the courage just where you stand to ask Jesus Jesus what's that new thing that you want to do in my life Jesus I, just, just if you're open to him just tell him Jesus I'm open to the new that you want to do inside of me maybe you're here today and you've never prayed to receive Jesus into your life. Jesus takes the old and makes it new. He, he takes the dead and brings it to life. So if you're here in this room or you're watching online and you want to pray to ask Jesus into your life, 
the old become new, then right where you stand, you can just pray, just in your heart, just pray, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sin. And right now, Jesus, I receive you into my life. Take over, Jesus. I surrender to you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed the prayer to receive Christ, would you hold up your hand? Because I want to pray for you as we close out this service. If you're online, I want you to just put up a hand raise emoji. Or if you're a church online, hit the hand raise. Father, I thank you so much for these hands. I thank you so much for the people that prayed to receive you. And I pray that all of us will be wide open to the new that you want to do inside of us. We love you, Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Hey, listen, before you leave today, before you leave today, if something, if there's something you need to talk about, if there's something you need to get off your chest, shoot us an email, prayer at mysecondchancechurch.com, and somebody will reach out to you, somebody will pray for you, or if you want to talk to somebody as you walk out these doors and, and, and go to my right, to leave, if you'll, if you'll go to my left, there's a group of committed volunteers there called the care team that would love to pray with you or pray for you or just listen to anything you got to say. Because this is a house where shame has no name. We believe that in your life, the best is yet to come. And we believe God has an incredible plan for you. So I hope you have a phenomenal week. We'll see you back here next Sunday. The best really is yet to come.